Some women impersonate Sex in the City's Carrie Bradshaw with vast closets full of fantastic clothing. Even Sarah Jessica Parker pretends to be Carrie Bradshaw when she walks the red carpet. However, there is one woman in New York City who, if he knew her, would have been Darren Starr's real muse. Let me introduce you to Susan S. Warner, the adorable petite blonde who at 59 lost her handsome, extraordinary husband to cancer six months after her wonderful 32-year-old son died by suicide. It's now four years later. After the most challenging days and nights, Susan decided to live her best life possible. And just like that, Susan was suddenly single. Carrie may have Susan beat on exposure, but Susan has Carrie beat on life's experiences. Listen in. Never say never, never say always. I will be releasing my book this fall, Never Say Never, Never Say Always. It's all about my life from the minute I heard that my son David died by suicide, followed by the death of my husband Michael six months later to cancer, to present day. It's now six years later, and I call myself Susan 2.0 because my life has morphed and evolved. It took courage for me to write a book about how I went from a charmed life to a life full of tragedy to living a new life filled with joy. Never Say Never, Never Say Always is going to be an emotional ride for every reader, but I think it's worth it. You will relate so much to parts of my journey, no matter what your personal situation is. My words may put your life into perspective. Don't miss out on this opportunity. I think it's worth reading and worth owning. Thank you, Susan. When did you decide to write Never Say Never, Never Say Always, and why? I'm a journalist. And I write, I've been writing since I was a young girl. Um, as a college counselor, I write, I edit, I help people with writing, I help students. My friends and family have forever been saying to me, write the book, write the book, write the book. But I truly believe now that you can't write the book until you have the topic. And I never had the topic. I, I fooled around with a topic about a woman with a BRCA gene and several other things, but it never came to me. When David died, I started a journal, a composition notebook, that I just wrote phrases and ideas and thoughts in. Nothing coherent, nothing well-constructed, nothing grammatical, page by page. And I had the habit of writing on the diagonal. I still do when I write notes to myself. And I kept this composition notebook and added to it and added to it and added to it. And a few people in my life, particularly my friend Robin, kept saying, you've got to write the book, you've got to write the book. And then I was encouraged by um, a man I was dating at the time who said, this is such a waste, and somewhat berated me and said, you've got to write the book, you've got to write the book. And I started the book. And I started the book because I started with a series of essays that I thought were good, but I couldn't get traction because everybody who I presented them to said, where's the book? So every talk show, every radio show, every magazine said, these are great, but where's the book? So it's somewhat encouraging that in our society there is a literary element to justifying yourself and giving yourself credence when you write the book. So Lois, with your help, I started hmm. the book. And that was about a year and a half ago. Hmm. Why did you pick the title, Never Say Never, Never Say Always? Because it's probably one of the most important lessons I've learned to date. Um, when people ask me questions, are you going to do this? Are you going to do that? I used to answer more black and white. No, I'm not. Yes, I am. 
And now I've learned, don't know. So I'm never going to say never, and I'm never going to say always, because they really aren't in my vocabulary anymore. So for instance, do I want to remarry, which has come up so often. In the beginning, maybe I said, no, I don't want to remarry. Now I say, never say never, never say always. Today, I don't want to get married. In two years, one year, five years, six months, three days, I may change my mind. Mm-hmm. So I've learned, I've learned the lesson that nothing is black and white. Nothing is so concrete. thought I was walking into the sunset with my husband into old age. Never say never, never say always. Hmm. So how did you get started? That's a really good question. Um, I started with some essays I had written, and I actually thought the book was going to be a book of essays. And I have a, <laughs> I'm laughing, I'm sorry. I have a role model of Sarah Jessica Parker as Carrie, and she wrote her book, you know, taken from her um, article that she wrote when she was a sex anthropologist. And I thought, well, that's a great idea. I'm going to do that. But it didn't translate. So I started with my essays, but then I realized it needed to be chapter by chapter in growth. So it took on a life of its own. But it initially started with the essays that I wrote in the beginning of this process. How many, I'm I'm curious, because of what you just said, was there a lot of rewrites? How does that all work? I have a really bizarre way of writing as a writer. I think about it, think about it, take notes, make notes. I have notebooks and moleskins that I adore. And I think in the shower a lot. I think walking down the street a lot. I think walking Winston a lot. And I speak into my phone in memos a lot. And then I start formulating what I think I want to say. And I sit down at my computer and I don't get up till the chapter's written. I am a basically one edit writer. I write straight from my brain to my hands to my computer. And fundamentally, it's read and reread and scrubbed and reworded. And, you know, I use synonyms and dictionaries, but basically I'm a one edit writer. And I sit down in the course of a day, sometimes six, eight, ten hours, and I write the chapter, which is about 2,500 words. Wow. It's unusual. It's an unusual process I have. Mm-hmm. And, I've always and, been a one-edit writer. Yeah, and you don't have to like rearrange words and sentences and and uh, paragraphs the way you're writing or switch yeah, from sometimes. chapter to chapter. Um, sometimes, sometimes after I write the first draft and I read it, I'll go back and move things around. Uh, I do that with my students' essays too. Sometimes the third paragraph is a better first paragraph. And I do change words, and I do delete. I I call it scrubbing. I do scrub the essay, but Mm -hmm. I rarely scrap it. I rarely delete whole portions. Usually it's the thoughts that I want to get out. They do come out. But I I usually sit with it for a solid week of every day looking at it, changing it, moving it, scrubbing it, until I'm comfortable enough to send it to you and then to send it to my editor. And then she makes changes too. You know, she may say this is repetitive or let's move this. And we have not yet determined the chapters 1 through 15 as they stand now are 1 through 15. They may switch around a little bit. And I will leave that to someone else's eye. And I will comment, but I do leave it to someone else's eye because I'm so personally vested in it. So you are pretty close to the end now. 
Uh, so I'm interested, like when you sat down the first, second, third time, what were the main points you wanted to get across? Because this is such a powerful book. They, I've grown from the start of the book to the end of the book. I've grown as a person. I've grown as a writer. I've grown as a woman. I've grown as a friend, a mother, and I am proud to say a grandmother. I just became a grandmother. Um, so, yeah, yes. It's a very important <clears throat> part of my life. Yes. So I think that I, I, what I would tell you was the start and where I thought it would end up are not the same place. And I think as you read it, the reader will come on my journey. They will, you know, buckle up, get in their seat, buckle up, and see the journey of me as a person. And I'm proud of that, that I've changed, I've morphed, I've grown. And it's very evident in the chapters and the writing and where I end up in the book. The, the growth and, the, and pain and joy are very evident. I become more transparent as the book progresses and less guarded, and I'm proud of that. And I think my um, questions become more interesting, and I become Susan 2.0 as the book progresses. So I didn't have a clear 15-chapter, um, 16-chapter outline that we're doing this, this, and this. It, between you and the, and the editor, Cheryl, yeah. and myself, we've kind of grown through this, through a lot of thought, and, and reading what the last chapter was about and where that will take us next and what's happened next. Because I've, I've lived 25% of my journey writing this book. So there's been a lot of growth in writing and change. There's definitely a change. The reader will see it. I see it. You see it. So if you were sitting at a dinner party and someone mentioned your book and it was all published and they read it and they described it to the next person sitting right next to them, what would you hope that they would say that this book was about? Probably the best question you've ever asked. What's my elevator pitch, huh? <laughs> yeah, what's your I, elevator I, pitch? It's it's a book about personal growth, about optimism after profound loss, about seeing the world better and trying to self-actualize and be better. I think that's probably what I would tell you the book is about, but that sounds so... Kumbaya, and I don't want it to be that. I want people to read it and say, I see myself in this, or I could do that and be better. Or, or that's an interesting way how she got there. Let me read that again. Let me see what she said about that, because I can go there. I don't want it to be self-help, but I want it to be self-help. I want you to embrace my journey and what happened as a story, but I want you to feel better about yourself and what you feel after you've read it. Does that make sense? Right. I want people, and I think people will say at a dinner table, I thought all was lost. I thought my life was over. However, I read Susan's book, and it saved my life. Wow. I hope I know, that, I know that I hope sounds too. Well, I know that sounds I, probably ambitious. simple, ambitious. but I really think that this book is a lifesaver to so many people that are caught in such a terrible web 
because such, they have had such tragedy or they interpret mm-hmm. it as tragedy or whatever happened to them, and this is the guiding light that gets them through. It's almost like having a mentor, you know, say to you, you're going to be okay. In fact, in fact, you're going to live a good life afterwards. You are going to be happy. No matter how much you don't want to be happy, you're going to be happy. And read this book and you will see, you, you know, there'll be less pity and more of a curiosity for what comes next. That is so kind and that is ambitious and I presume <laughs> it's not kind. that's what it's I what, would Yeah. It's I would not want kind. the that's most. What, yeah, that's what's in this book, Susan. You wrote it, but I'm the reader. <laughs> that's what's in this book. So Well, everyone know, out there then trust Lois on this one. <laughs> no, no. Please trust no, but, Lois. But I think, you know, I always think of like what is someone gonna say and and uh, you know, sometimes people are not smart enough or they're not insightful enough or whatever or they have another agenda on in their life going on that that impacts the book but this is really what this book is because you know thank you when you're in tragedy and things are so down i mean you you could you could go to a therapist you could meditate you could do a lot of things and it doesn't work and you just lose hope this book will get you through it because you've been there nobody you know i'm sorry to say it to you but I'm you know you you know you've you've hit rock bottom and people I hope that need, it was rock listen bottom. listen I've hit rock bottom in my own head for just getting a paper cut you know it doesn't matter <laughs> but when I'm listening to you I am seeing that there is another side than the way I usually think and I have to become I don't have to become you but you are the guiding light so I want to listen to Thank your you. attitude. Because attitude is everything. I have a cousin that says that to me all the time. Attitude is everything. And there's a big difference from people that are negative and people that are positive. And this book... I I think it's important to know that you can be happy. That happiness is not... It's a right. It's it's not a privilege. And everybody deserves happiness. When someone says to me... um, you deserve that. My comment back is we all deserve that. You know, we all deserve good things, basically. So I believe, and if you approach life, that happiness is a right and not a privilege, and that you can make your own happiness. And if this book helps you at all, find that happiness and find that if someone who experienced something that people think is pretty unique, pretty um, pretty strong, can do it, you can do it, then I hope that I'm out there showing people that you can be happy. Mm-hmm. You can be happy, and it's up to you. It's in your court. It's not. It's not the cards I'm dealt, or or how what's going on in the immediate world. It's it's reaching deep inside, and being comfortable with yourself, and and appreciating other people, and learning what's good for you. And yes, you can be. Everybody deserves happiness, and there's happiness out there. So if I can help anybody learn that lesson, I would be very fulfilled. Well. It's going to happen. Read it. So watch it. <laughs> read, it. Yeah, read it. How did you discipline yourself to do this? Because I say every day of the week I'm writing a book, and it just goes from <laughs> one day to the next. So. I am a super disciplined person in everything I do, in exercise, in diet, in living. I am very, very disciplined. So in the beginning, it was a little daunting. Like, how was I going to sit and write this? But then the rhythm starts, and I got a time frame down. And it's funny because um, um, Arthur, my companion, wrote, wrote several books. 
and he said, you know, you have to set up a schedule and do this. That's not how I do it. Um, I would write, I would submit, I would get the rewrite back, I would write the next chapter. So it became a really good rhythm for me, and I function well in that area. So for me, this, and this has really been a labor of love. I've really enjoyed writing this. And and I'm going to, you know, people have said to me who, who know I'm writing and have said, I bet it's really cathartic. It's not. People want to think it's cathartic because they want to think that I'm not enduring pain in this. I have cried. I have sobbed. I have walked the room and walked the dog and, and looked bleary-eyed through the windows writing this. There's been a lot, it's brought up a lot. And, and there's some things in tragedy that the human mind lets you bury. It, it's a mental mechanism so that you can go on. I've dug them all up. So this is, cathartic is not the word I would use. It, it, I hope it's a labor of love. It's a labor of love to David, to Michael, to Elizabeth, to my family, my friends. But it's been a very emotionally charged journey. Very emotionally charged. Mm. That's, yep. I'm glad we asked that question. I have to tell you what scares me is what happens when it's finished and I don't have this baby anymore to work on. I'm a little nervous about that because I look forward to doing the next chapter, to telling the story as a storyteller. So that's a little frightening too. But well, I guess means, I'll figure that, that out. Means there's book two. That's all. I, you know. I hope so. No question about so. that. No question about that. Um, I'm interested. What were the rough spots to write? The whole book. There's a no, 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 no. There's a if I if I were to nail it in in succinctly, there's a chapter about David's suicide that was extremely painful. There's a chapter. It's a conversation between. David and Michael and myself, where I ask the questions and answer the questions, mm-hmm. and they're not sugar. It's not sugar coated. I don't answer, you know, how are you guys, and they say we're great. It's not like that. That was extremely heart wrenching. And then the end of the book was very emotional. Mm-hmm. So there are specific chapters that really pulled on my heart and and were really causing me to dig deep, and those were difficult. And difficult in a good way, if that makes sense. Um, I describe at one point in the book that sometimes pain feels good. I spend so much time in the last six years numbing myself, tapping it down, you know, putting it away, that those times when it comes up, bubbles up, it feels good. It's a a hurt that feels good. I I, I see why people sometimes need to hurt because it makes you feel. So that was beneficial to me as a person. But there were about three, about four chapters, uh, and probably the end chapter, which I'm writing right now, probably five chapters that were particularly um, painful. Mm. The painful good, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yep. Hurt in a good way. I wonder when we read it if we will be able to feel which were the most painful ones. <laughs> you know. I'd like, love to. I'd love to know that. Yeah. Um, I'd love to do a poll of readers and say, you know, tell me what you think, and and that would be really interesting. Or well, if I get the opportunity to be on talk shows, maybe we can discuss right. that. Or even in like you know readings in bookstores, people will absolutely yeah. tell you. They will they will absolutely want to share that information with you because mm-hmm. it, you know it impacts them as well. So 
There's my no friend fish. Robin is often my sounding board. Um, she was one of my husband's best friends. They grew up together. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when I need to push something off someone, it'll be her. And I hear her sobbing on the other side. Mm-hmm. I, I hear her tears. Wow. So I know that I know even without knowing us, and Robin, of course, knows us intimately, I know without knowing us that I will hit ports for people that, that are painful. But I, again, I think that's a good thing. Because when well, you, you know you're not alone, yeah. it's much easier. Misery oh, loves yeah. company. And mm-hmm. when you know someone else feels that way and someone else felt that way and, and it's okay, it's great. It really helps. It helped me when people told me that and it, I hope it helps other people. I know that I'm a sounding board and I know that you have an mm-hmm. editor. But like you just mentioned, Robin, mm-hmm. who, who helped you through this? Robin helped you. Who, you know, who helped you through the process, you know, in your downtime when you were speaking to other people? Most of it, honestly, is self-derived. Most of it is Susan speaking to Susan, I have to say. Um, I do credit my friend Bruce with encouraging me to write the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, he introduced us, as a matter of fact, you and I, Lois, and Robin, who was so strong and write the book. Uh, my daughter's been very encouraging to write the book. Um, I, I, but I really don't, and, and, and my sister-in-law, Angie, has always said, you know, you write so beautifully, please put it on paper. But all in all, it's really been my journey. It's really been an internal talk to myself, write to myself kind of thing. You know, when Newsweek published um, an essay that I did recently, which um, I'm using really as the start of the book, that was very helpful because the response was phenomenal, really Mm -hmm. off the charts. So that helped me a lot. Um, But honestly, it's a Mm self-process. Very little of it has been seen by anybody. Well, then that brings me to the next question. Has anyone read this book? And what was their reaction? I know I read it, and your editor read it, but did that's you really it. read? Oh, that's it, huh? Nobody why else did you, read it. Why nope. did you decide to do that? I don't know. Um, insecurity, maybe. Um, maybe I you didn't want don't... to hear their opinions. No, I do. I do. It's not that. I want it to be complete when people read it. I want it. I want to finish the. I want to finish this journey the story and I, I I covet it right now it's not it's not in publication form yet you know Lois I don't know why I haven't given it to people to read I'm I'm scared um, you know what personal. I think it's I very think, personal yeah I think you didn't give it to people to read because you wanted to write it, you experienced it, and you didn't want interference. Now that the book is done, you may show it to a few people and get reaction, but you certainly didn't want to interrupt your rhythm of of getting this all out on paper. And you probably have a more objective view on it than I do. I have to say, question-wise, you stumped me on that one. Maybe in another podcast I can come back and say, okay, I thought about it, here's the reason. Mm-hmm. I think also, honestly, it's so personal, and I'm um, surprisingly because I am writing this book and putting it out there. I am a very private person, mm-hmm. and I'm a little nervous putting myself naked out there in a book. So maybe that has something to do with it. 
I don't know. I don't know. I, I need to think about that. I need to think about it. Yeah. So what do you think your your family and friends will say once they read the book? Um, you know, do you think everyone's going to be happy with it? Do you think people are going to agree with you? Do you think it's going to um, hit a nerve with people that they didn't want exposed or they'll be shocked that this is the way you you laid it out and they saw it differently? Where are we going with this? I think that my family and close friends will be extremely emotionally tied to the book. I think that they will cry. I think they'll see themselves. I Mm. think it might be cathartic for them to be able to understand how appreciative I am of them and their input in my lives and their support and the things that I say about David and Michael that, that I mean about keeping their spirit alive and, and how much everybody means to me. Um, I don't think anybody will be angry. Um, there was no mean spirit in anything I wrote. Um, my truth, but all of it is more positive than anything else. So I, I think that everybody will find it cathartic and emotional. That's my guess. Mm-hmm. Well, They're all very close to it. So I think people will find it very emotional. It is emotional. Yeah, I would find it very interesting if I, you know, knew you well the last last six years and I saw your everyday mm-hmm. life and then I saw how you wrote this thing out and your, you know, your interpretation versus what I thought I witnessed. So Correct. I think it's, I think it's going to be really very a very good life lesson for a lot of people close to you. So I think and maybe for me too. Yeah. Well, then that maybe brings up the also. next. Yeah, the, the next natural question is, do you think your life has changed because you wrote this book? I think it's made me think more. I think it's made me better. I think that it's made me gentler and more understanding because it's brought everything out into the open. You know, there's a mental mechanism that when you say something, you could out loud verbally, you commit to it. Your mind commits to it more so than just thinking it. So mm-hmm. this book has made me say things out loud and make me commit to them. So when I fall back to bad habits, there's a click that says, you're not that person anymore. Don't do that. Whether that's judging people or, or, or making assumptions that aren't fair, I'm far quicker to correct myself. So I think that this book has helped me grow. I think it's made me think a little too much, a little too deep, but I'm going to sacrifice that because I'm that person. But I think it's made me grow and um, be smarter, really be a smarter person, a better person. I do. I know you said that writing this book was really not cathartic for you. Um, You said it wasn't, but can you explain why? You don't think? Yeah. It's not, it's not the overwhelming emotion. So everyone, I can't tell you how many people have said to me, I'll bet it's cathartic. Right. That's to make them feel better, I think. Like, you know, let's not think of Susan sitting at her desk crying and pouring her heart. Let's think that this works for her as a person and, and makes her feel better. So it's not the overwhelming emotion to it. In part, yes. In part, it is cathartic. It keeps Michael and David's, um, spirit alive so yes but i can do that on my own 
So my thought of it, it's not cathartic, is that that's not, it, that's, you know, when I explain to people after David died by suicide, you know, was he an addict? Did he see a psychologist? You know, was he depressed? Because if he, if he was any of those things in my child, it won't happen to them. Right. Made them feel better. This is in the same genre where if it's cathartic, then I don't feel badly that she wrote this and cried. But I want people to know that that's not why I did this. It wasn't to make me feel better or make me be able to relive the situation. It was to share with other people how I think you can live a better life, a happier life, and and make me not the unicorn, but make my ideas and my approach more prevalent in society. Right. That's why. It wasn't to make me feel better. And that's... So the cathartic part, sometimes it, it angers me a little bit, and I know that that's wrong. Like, don't think this makes me feel good so that you don't have to feel badly. Right. <laughs> that's not it. That wasn't the emotion here. Mm-hmm. That wasn't my purpose. My purpose was to do this to share with other people the experience and hopefully make it easier for other people who have also endured. And that's everybody who has felt grief in any way, shape, or form, from the death of a dog or a parent to a child, a friend, a sibling, whatever it is, your grief is always real. Anybody's grief is real. And I hope to ease that grief and to understand that, you know, five steps forward, one step back. So who do you think your target audience is? Everybody. (laughs) Everybody who who has lost. Everybody who has lost. And I don't know anybody who hasn't. Right. And in, in my 60s, I don't know anybody who hasn't lost from what I label as profound grief, which is losing a child and my husband six months apart, losing a child, losing my husband, you know, anybody who has experienced loss. And that could be your 95 year old mother if that rips your heart. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with sharing grief with everybody. I am not quantifying my grief or anybody else's grief. It is awful. It's a it's a high on the food chain emotion that is so profound to all of us and it's really swept under the carpet and it's really not out there enough, I don't think. And I want people to know that there's recovery, that there's keeping those people alive in your heart and moving forward with love and with laughter and with happiness. And it takes a little work, but everything takes a little work. So I think everybody is my target audience. What advice could you give others who may want to do exactly the same thing as you? A book. A book? Go for it. I think it's great. I mean, if you have it in you and and you want to do it, take your shot. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work and a lot of work. <laughs> take your shot, though. It's always worth it. It was um, it, when I I explained that going back on a horse was really important to me. Um, there were several things that I did on my bucket list. Travel was really important to me. They're not hard. This is work, and it is right. very mental and very rewarding. So I say to anybody who's got it in them, go for it. Definitely worth the effort. Well, that's encouraging. So, <laughs> how do you think your life will change once this book is published? <laughs> Can I fantasize or do you want reality? Fantasize. That would be, you know, that would give encouragement to everyone to write a book. In fantasy, I would love for people to buy it and read it. I'd love to do readings. 
I would love to appear on talk shows and explain where, what my journey is and how people can get better. Um, I would like this to be out there. I would like to stand up and scream, I've done this, listen to me. I hope that somebody picks it up, that people read it, that I'm not the only 500 copies who buy this book and mm -hmm. sign it. So I'm hoping that my message gets out there and that people buy it and read it and allow me to spread this word. Well, Susan, this has really been a very um, encouraging and inspiring and uh, just just a, so much hope in this conversation. And I hope the audience that's listening to this feels exactly the same way because it's a lifesaver. So we all thank you very much, and we can't wait for this book to be published. Thank you, Lois. And, I appreciate and, it. And... Uh, and your name to become a household name. That's going to be an interesting. <laughs> that's going to be an interesting. And we will do podcasts through this journey. I mean, just because the book is published doesn't mean. Oh that no, we'll continue. So many things to talk about. That's going to be great. Okay. Absolutely. Thanks, Lois. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye.